This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. Joining me this week, two vampires I accidentally let into my house, and now they're living in my attic and refusing to pay rent, Zach McCrary. What is up, Mike? Glad to be here. Happy spooky season. And Nick White. Uh, Yep, that's where we're at, uh, not paying rent. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. I've got a mortgage, and you that's... guys are using all of my electricity. Uh, but we're here to talk about comic books today. I- I'm going to say before we get into things, I'm just going to throw out a content warning for folks. Today, we are talking about some of the scariest books that we can think of in comics. And some of that will involve things like gore and probably self-harm and things of all sorts of scary, scary bits. So if that's not your vibe, you may want to skip the second half of this episode, maybe even some parts of the first half of this episode. But just calling it out. That's what we're going to be talking about today. But let's get into things. I have two legally mandated questions that I have to ask you, and that is, how have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Zach. Man, uh, that is a tough question because I've read a lot of comics this week, and that's been great. Unfortunately, the reason is because I've had COVID. Oh, and, no. <laughs> and so through the hell of having COVID-19, I have read a lot of fun comics. Everything else in life is great, but this week sucked. Yeah. <laughs> Well, what did you read? And did you read anything good that was able to like settle your your body as you were trying to recover from this? Settling my body is not a good way to put the things that I read this week. <laughs> <laughs> because with it being October, like I am a I'm a huge horror guy in general, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know over on my show, the comics that we love all month is Spooktober, and yes, sir. I just I love reading horror comics because I think they're some of the best comics being put out today. I said it. I'll lay it out there. And uh, one of the ones that I read this week is a book from Vault Comics called The Autumnal. Mm-hmm. And it's written by Daniel Krauss, art by Chris Sheehan, colors Jason Wordy, letters by Jim Campbell. This book is, man, Vault Comics, if you're looking for spooky bangers, man, this is the place to go. Like, that, if you like that kind of stuff, go check out Vault Comics. Yeah. The Autumnal, it's a it's a story about a town with a secret. It's like a gorgeous suburban New Hampshire town of Comfort Notch. And like when you hear that name, even it's like something's wrong with this town. Clearly, like it's too nice. <laughs> and, yeah. And, but and it all you know, it's one of those things where everything's perfect, but it comes at a cost, like one of those kind of stories. And mm-hmm. our, our main character, Kat, and her daughter, Sybil, go to this town because Kat's estranged mother is dead and left her daughter everything. Kat's got no memories of her mom or the town. She spent like the first eight or nine years there, doesn't remember anything, but it all kind of starts to come flooding back when she arrives and starts to unravel the mystery of why her mother sent her away in the first place. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's one of these stories that's filled with mystery. And as we start to get the breadcrumbs of what's going on, you start to get that that kind of like that same feeling that you get from a Junji Ito book, like we talked about last time. Like these normal people are in over their heads and they're never going to make it to the surface once the truth is like fully revealed. Like you just mm-hmm. start feeling that. And it's like a it's a story about generational trauma and how that passes itself down and continues until someone either breaks the cycle or the cycle ends the family. But it's done in this really cool magical horror story kind of way with gorgeous watercolor art from Christian and a, a beautifully written story by Daniel Krauss. And this one, this one actually now ranks among some of my favorite horror comics. The crunchiness of the story is that good. And Mm. there's a lot to unpack just in the characters alone. And that's all before you even get to the really wild witch in the woods legend kind of story. And uh, yeah, so the autumnal man, 100 percent, two thumbs up. Go check it out. 
Okay. See, this this is one of those books that I always wanted to check out, but the cover, very much like the series Colder, which I do want to talk about later, is absolutely disgusting. And I'm like, <laughs> if that's what you're pitching me on, I don't know if I want to dig into this. Like the cover to this book, again, warning folks, this is very gross, uh, yeah. is like a woman in a pond and there's like sticks going into her eyes and her nose and her face. It's like awful it's really really gross oh man all of the covers to each issue were like beautifully like some of them were done in like charcoal and stuff mm-hmm. like that and they're all grotesque with cool looking skulls and it's all like autumn themed art right. it's really neat right so it's like very much the opposite of what i think we like to talk about here and i read comic books every fall season <laughs> which is just like warm cozy fall vibes Yay. and today it's just like death <laughs> pretty much yeah <laughs> well i mean if you're saying this book is solid you're not the first person to say that but you know zach i'll take your word for it maybe this is one of those books i i go into the month of november and say like let's get just really scared and let's read something so this sounds good but it's been on like one of those oh man i've been meaning to check that out list for for, for a while so thank you for the the extra recommendation on this plus folks in the discord are saying it's it's a pretty solid book so um, yeah. i trust them as well um nick though what about you how have you been what have you been reading all that stuff yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I want to talk about that stuff, but ever since, ever since Zach said spooky bangers, like the only thing I could think of is like, like a <laughs> Halloween themed British breakfast dish. Ooh. Yeah, it's like <laughs> spooky bangers. Yeah, some so. black pudding. You right. think you've got to do it in like a British accent if you're gonna do it, man? It's spooky bangers, <laughs> ain't it? Don't tempt me. Don't don't try this. I think last time I was on the show, you tried to get me to do a Russian accent, and uh, I'm yes. not I'm not waiting I'm not waiting into any current uh, international conflicts. Okay, yeah. Some spooky bangers in a pint, mate. <laughs> You know, when I was over there, that's how everyone talks. And they're like, that's not how we talk, but that's literally <laughs> how everyone talks. They just don't, <laughs> don't want you want to know. That. So all of our, uh, oh God, you guys did it again. Here we go. You made me fall into this trap. All <laughs> of our United Kingdom, Ooh. United Kingdom uh, listeners are not going to be pleased. And uh, last time people were mad, they're like, you forgot about Wales. And it's like, look, everyone's <laughs> watching. Welcome to Wrexham now. I think everyone knows about Wales now. So yes. our yes. Wales audience, uh, you know, Ryan Reynolds is in your corner. You don't need me. It's fine. Right. Um, right. That's fair. That yeah. is fair. Uh, beyond that. Mobile and Wales. That's all. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Ryan Reynolds and, has got your back. And Aviation Gin. But I think he sold oh, that. Yeah. So um he also sold his Mint Mobile. Let's talk about oh, all yeah. of Ryan Reynolds' investments over the years. So let's list them all. Welcome to the I Like Ryan Reynolds podcast. This is now Motley Fool. Listen, listen. I'm gonna I'm gonna turn this around. Ryan yeah. Reynolds was Deadpool. Deadpool comic book. Nick, what did you read? Ooh. Oh no, that was good. Um, well, uh, just briefly uh, in terms of what's been going on, just want to cover this. Uh, Xander put in the ESPN theme right here. I talked to them. It's legal. You can borrow it. It's fine. They said like 20 seconds. You can do it. Um, things are good. Lions are playing this weekend. Um, actually, they're not playing this weekend. They're playing on Monday. And okay. Formula One is in Mexico. And Max Verstappen has to have bodyguards because uh, everyone hates him there. So it should be really interesting. I, I, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just pause on that and say, yeah. in the break, we're gonna talk about something that's very F1 related, but not right now. Yeah. Nick, I want okay. you to tell us about a comic book, please. Sure. 
<laughs> yeah, so I read Giant Robot Hellboy number one. Uh, this is the first of three issues. It's a miniseries. The story is by Mike Mignola. Um, the art is by Duncan Figredo. My goodness, I, I sat down Sounds and listened. Good. I went on YouTube. I do this every time. I go on YouTube and I look at other interviews with the person and then I write down the name, but I forgot the pronunciation here. Uh, Colors by Dave Stewart. Letters by Clem Robbins. Um, yes, it's basically the usual typical Hellboy gang um, on story, colors, and letters mm-hmm. like you would come to expect. For those unaware, uh, this book basically came about uh, because Mike Mignola was doing some sketches um, during sort of the peak of the pandemic. And I think they uh-huh. got called like the quarantine sketches. And I'm pretty sure most of them ended up getting compiled into a book that was sold or it's yes. in the process of being built. Yeah. And basically this drawing was really well received by a lot of the people that were really paying attention to these. And at some point they decided, let's just make this a book and, you know, because dark horse is more or less the the house that Mike built. Um, if he says, I have an idea, he doesn't need to finish the sentence. They just go ahead and say, yes, it's, it's approved. Yeah. Uh, and then if the word Hellboy shows up anywhere in the next minute, they're like, Oh my gosh, we'll make an action figure and we'll put out some merch and, uh, Maybe we'll adapt it into a movie that may or may not be well received. So ain't that mm-hmm. true? Which, which I mean, look, like Mike Mignola, I I appreciate the guy. I feel like he's very humble about things, all things considered. I mean, the man has had three movies, and he's not a big, you know, of a non-big two artist. I uh, a big two character. I don't know if anyone else can make that sort of claim. I appreciate. I noticed it here. I've noticed it on a lot of his other recent books. He doesn't give himself, or the editors don't give him. Uh, a writer credit. He seems to always be getting a story credit because sure. that's a way of basically, as he said multiple times, I have a two minute conversation with the artist. I list about three bullet points and I hang up the phone and they draw the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but and, here's uh, the thing about that though is even with all of that, you say like it sounds like you're trying to imply that he's extremely hands off about his books, but regardless, I feel like that is enough for them to put out some pretty cool comic books, all things considered, right? Well, I, I think. He's an artist that trusts artists to be artist, an artist, right? Yeah. He yeah. he's he's been there. He's you know he's done writing for his books. He's done just storyboarding. He's done books where he's strictly been the artist. I think he has a good understanding and trust mm-hmm. in people. And I think that this book is is more or less pretty much exactly the same. So in terms of you know Figredo, uh, he might not be the most household name. Um, but he actually was the main artist on Hellboy for a couple of years. Uh, he drew the Darkness Calls arc. He also drew the Wild Hunt arc, um, which was largely what got adapted into the 2019 film, which, I mean, you know, we won't touch on the film. But what's really interesting is that Darkness Calls was actually the very first Hellboy miniseries that did not feature Mignola on art. So this guy was the very first person after Mignola had drawn that book for years and years and years. I think probably from like 96 through 96 through 06. It was probably Mm -hmm. like a whole decade. Um, This was the first guy on the book following him. So that's that's a pretty big deal. He drew the book for a couple of years. What about this book, though? Right. So it's a sketch. People like the sketch. Yeah. He says, let's do a book. (laughs) Some people are like, well, that's kind of stupid. It was just this weird sketch. And, you know, now it's this whole comic. Can you really, you know, draw a whole comic about that? And I think really the criticism isn't valid. I think this is just a situation where we got to see the kernel of the idea, like, be created. 
right? Sure. Like we saw where it began and then evolved. And I think a lot of times uh, just the inciting moment or the kernel of an idea can be something small. It can be something stupid or, you know, goofy. And just most of the time we're not privy to what that moment is. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just that mm-hmm. in this moment we saw it. Right. Um, and in terms of like, you know, what is this? It's exactly what you're paid for. You know what you paid for. Like, like many of those manga where the title is like, two run-on sentences like oh no i am a teenage boy trapped in the you know troll king's dungeon and all i have is a frying pan and you're like well i know what this book is about right <laughs> like <laughs> yes this is giant robot hellboy and it's exactly giant robot hellboy okay sure. kaiju mecca they're in right now totally yeah, oh, let's roll totally. with right so like the conceit of this book and like spoilers for issue one but really is this really a spoiler at all yeah Hellboy gets captured. He gets wired up into this contraption that looks like it's straight out of Dr. Frankenstein's, you know, laboratory. Because uh, we're British now, apparently. That's how yep. I want to say that. Uh, we discover that this machine is linked to this giant robot that shares Hellboy's likeness. The robot gets dropped off on some island that happens to be home to the Jim Hanks equivalent of Godzilla. That's a Tom Hanks joke. And a fight yeah, starts. <laughs> <laughs> That's the whole issue. That's the whole issue. Okay. I That's not a knock. It flows well. It relies on the artist to tell the story. It doesn't get in its own way. Why? But but yet, while it flows really well, it reads really fast. It's intuitive to the eyes in terms of the panel flow, and it looks great. There are still some little interesting questions here, like why did these people capture Hellboy? Why did they pick him? Why did they build a mech that looks like him? Uh, and most importantly, you know, we have this character who's sort of surveilling him on this island and is sort of the eyes and ears for the scientists. While she's surveilling him, she's going into this old abandoned facility trying to recover something, and we don't know what that is. So there's some interesting little lingering questions here. But again, not the most complicated read. The art looks amazing. It always, it seems like, you know, Mignola manages to find these artists that look an awful lot like his own style, but they mm-hmm. have their kind of own take on it. Uh, this guy is no different. And I think the one thing he manages to nail that a lot of Hellboy imitators don't always get is the level of the inking and the shading that goes into Hellboy in terms of like the shadows on the face or like the sort of weight on like the cloak and the you know reflections on the you know the guns and everything i feel like that's actually pretty well done here um you've got all the uh, the fact that everything is covered in dirt and grime and everything has flaked paint and rust on it and everything just feels kind of old yeah really enjoyed this book yeah i would I, i would say anybody who's looking for something dumb and fun it's it's definitely that and it just looks great doing it yeah you sold me i mean i feel like every once in a while i take a risk on a hellboy book and then i read it and i go what the fuck was nick thinking um (laughs) this one though i feel like i could jump in it would be perfect (laughs) yeah 100 percent. very cool very cool i mean genuinely looking this up though it does look beautiful i was looking up for um uh What's his name? Uh, Duncan for Grado's art looks amazing. Um, so, yeah, definitely going to have to try this one um, either when it gets collected or maybe I'll just grab the single issue because um, it's not six ninety nine like other single issues that we're talking about. But we're not going to talk about that right now. I'm going to talk about something else um, that is Koguchi magazine. Number one, um, I've been 
terrible about keeping up on comics recently. I can't even explain how many weeks behind on my single issues and how many books I've dropped just because I realize I'm not reading them. But I did actually read a Kickstarter book. Like last week, I read a Kickstarter book. This week, I read a Kickstarter book. Um, that is Kaguchi Magazine. Um, this is a huge anthology. It's like 146 pages full of a half dozen, maybe almost a dozen comics by um, a bunch of different creators. I'm going to put them in the, the show notes so you can take a look at this um, just because it's a huge list. Uh, but yeah, it's really 146 pages of awesome all in one book. Um, the feel of this book, I genuinely cannot describe. Like, there's no digital edition of this book, unfortunately. Um, but in true, like, anthology magazine style, this book has, like, a really nice, crisp cover um, that's floppy while also being, like, very, like, tough, like, thicker cardboard, which is nice. And I feel like there are some anthologies out there that think, oh, we'll just take this book and we'll give it the exact same dressing as a trade paperback. And to me, I feel like that is not the right vibe like last two weeks of the show i've talked about vibes on comics and i don't know how else to explain <laughs> it but this book has like the right feel it feels like a magazine it doesn't feel like a comic book and that to me gives you puts you like in a different mindset when you're sitting down for this book um because you're not expecting it to be just like overloaded with comic books you're kind of expecting something else and i feel like that's exactly what this book delivers like it's broken up in a very intelligent way each book has a however many pages each story is um and each story begins with a very huge black page that just has the name of the book and the creator and ends with another full black page with like the little icon that the creator drew for themselves and like a little quote or something like some thought that they may have had it very much reminds me of how shonen jump puts its books together um which i really really like there's a bunch of other places that do similar stuff style books but shonen jump is just what i think of so i really really enjoyed that like and the pages for this book are huge like this is bigger than your traditional trade um it feels like again magazine style which gives it like a totally different i like feeling overall the 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 pages themselves were definitely made to be in like a smaller format. And so when they're blown up, it just feels like you're looking at a much bigger comic book, um, which which is nice. So like to me, when I see big word bubbles and I see big panels, I feel like I'm going to read the book faster for some reason, because like <laughs> there's just like this. Oh, this is a children's book kind of thing. And I know that's not what it is, but that's kind of how I felt going through it. So I literally sat down and read this entire magazine in a sitting because it's just like so easy to go through. And I think that also goes to say a lot of the stories in here are really good. And to be completely honest, some of them are really bad. There's like a couple that are just duds, but that is okay when you when it comes to an anthology magazine like this. This almost disposable way of approaching comics like this Koguchi magazine number one is not something I'm going to be like, I need to put this in a mylar bag and keep it forever because it's going to be worth money. <laughs> this is just a thing that has stories in it that I could pass off to my friend and it'll get beat up as like people go and read it and just kind of take it however they want. And I really, really like that. But yeah, there are some really good books in here. There's clearly or excuse me, really good stories in here. Um, there's a lot of uh, experimentation happening in terms of like panel layout and like fonts and, and it's the whole books in black and white grayscale. Um, but even then, I feel like some people were trying to tell like very odd styled and formatted stories with this um, just because this is the type of thing that next issue, maybe they're going to do a completely different story. Maybe next issue, they continue the story. Maybe next issue, they're not even in the magazine. Um, and I, I really, really like that. Um, I think my only annoyance in this book is despite the good stories, bad stories, whatever, like that's actually not a knock on this. I think the anno only annoyance I really had was there was a handful of typos in this book, which is oh, kind of man. frustrating. Um, if only because like 
it's super glaring to me, the reader, but I'm sure that the person writing the book or whoever's editing, you know, they've seen these scripts a hundred times. So that it's easy to maybe miss a letter or something like that. And that happened in a couple stories, really, really minor annoyance, but it's still kind of like, I want to reach out to be like, hey, you guys don't have to pay me, but let me just proof these before you send them to print. <laughs> Get like a brand new set of unseen eyes just because. Um, but yeah, I really, really like this. Um, I think Kickstarter, this is a Kickstarter book that I, I backed it um to get the first two issues of this magazine i'll definitely be getting three and four whenever they announce that if this book keeps going and i think kickstarter is like the perfect place to do a book like this because you don't have to worry about subscription numbers you don't have to worry about is this even going to sell do i have to distribute to someone it's like no we're going to sell directly to the people who supported this thing um and i I think that's perfect i want to see this keep going so i'm going to continue to support this whether the stories are good or bad, because I love the idea of this format and I really, really want to see it succeed. And I hope everybody else out there hears this and keeps an eye on Kaguchi Magazine or Kaguchi Press, I think is the name of the actual company making it, um, because they've made some really, really good books before. Um, but this this anthology magazine is new for them and I really want to see them uh, move forward with it. So um, issue two is coming soon, but really I'm in no rush. I just want this to show up on my door when I need something that's totally different than everything else that I'm reading. So I'm very excited for that. That's that's really cool. The idea of an anthology comic via Kickstarter, I really like because I love Kickstarter comics because you get to see new people cutting their teeth and mm-hmm. getting into like figuring out how to write comics. And the idea of a lot of people all getting to throw something in the hat and get their name out there in like because that's the whole point of anthologies is cutting your teeth and figuring it out and doing that via Kickstarter. I, I really like that. You get to see a lot of fresh faces and a lot of fresh takes on things for better or for worse sometimes. But yeah, anthology books are fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and that's the thing. Like, I feel like Kickstarter actually does work really, really well for anthologies. But the anthologies that I've backed in the past have felt like, oh, this is just a trade of comics. Mm -hmm. This book intentionally gives you a different feel. And I I know that that's like a really weird thing to describe. And I keep fucking saying it. But like. (laughs) Truly, if I, I could hand, I could sit, I could show you two trades side by side or two, two anthologies side by side. And one looks like a comic book and the other looks like a magazine. And the magazine to me is more appealing um, to try new, unique things. So right. anyways, we don't have, we, we could talk about this more later, but let's move on. Um, Zach, let's bounce back over to you. What's one other book you've been reading? Oh, man. So I, I read the collected edition of the Bone Orchard Mythos 10,000 Black Feathers from Image Comics. Okay. Uh, yeah, so this is written by my the my favorite team in comics, bar none, uh, Jeff Lemire and Andrea Sorrentino. This is their baby. If you're unfamiliar, oh, it's also colors by the incomparable Dave Stewart. Mm-hmm. Dave Stewart's amazing. And letters by Steve Wands. Got to give credit where credit is due. If you're unfamiliar with the Bone Orchard Mythos folks, uh, it's this shared universe where they're creating self-contained horror stories as one-shots, graphic novels, miniseries. So far, there's been a one-shot called Prelude, The Shadow Eater, an original graphic novel called The Passageway. Currently, there's a 10-issue miniseries called Tenement being put out. Mm-hmm. And then there's this book, 10,000 Black Feathers. Again, it's all it's all Lemire and, and Sorrentino just doing their crazy stuff together. Uh, five issue miniseries 10,000 Black Feathers what I love about the duo of these two is that their approach to horror is so cerebral and really plays on the inner turmoil of what it is to be a flawed human being and yet the elements of the supernatural are still there they they ground their work so well in in its humanity while giving you something completely fantastical Mm -hmm. actually I'd say like fantasy horror describes this story really well it's about 
a fantasy author named Trish who comes back to her hometown on her book tour, not to promote, but to kind of face off with something that's kind of, that's haunted her since her childhood. We get to see how she deals with it and like the evil that's plaguing her. And, and that took her best friend Jack from her as she tries to find that friend and defeat the darkness. But you know, that sort of thing, like I said, the last book comes with a cost. Everything mm-hmm. comes with a cost in horror. Cause that's what horror is. The, the art is phenomenal. Sorrentino for my money and just at me, bro. Go ahead and at me, bro. He's the most creative panelist in comics today. The stuff he does with page layouts is stunning and belongs in a damn museum. Yeah, I'll pull out the Indiana Jones. That belongs in a museum. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Lemire constantly praises how he gives Sorrentino something and the dude just unravels it and makes it a thousand times cooler on the page. And there's this this interesting transition within the art where we see flashbacks of this woman's childhood with her best friend, and they uh, and as they're working together on building this fantasy world and writing fantasy novels because that's how they became friends. And uh, and the art slowly changes. It starts with this nice pastel colors and thin line work, like and there's like an innocence still there. And as the story goes on and these kids start to grow into their teens, the art changes to that signature dark and kind of muddled Sorrentino like realism there's like a realism to the way he does things that I love Hell yeah but but uh, not not for everyone that's the interesting thing so as people change the art changes for them if that makes sense so like when a character has like some kind of trauma or like something goes on with them it switches to creepy Sorrentino realism from the pastel thin lines so not oh all the characters are doing it at the same time and our last character left in kind of the bright past like the bright or not bright but brighter pastels mm-hmm. and thin line work is Trish and she's the last one to kind of lose her innocence and 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 it takes a long time throughout the story for her to get to that uh, you know, so and we're flashing back and forth between what brought her here and and her in the present. And of course, in the present, she is fully in sort Sorrentino, you know, look now. And it's really cool how it transitioned. And huh. uh, yeah, this is this is like horror in the highest, like highest regard, like elevated stuff. The Bone mm-hmm. Orchard mythos isn't like cheap scares and slasher villains and such. It's all about like inner demons coming to life in front of you and about broken people being thrust into situations that are far beyond anything they could fight off or run from. And uh, there's like an air of hopelessness and that's scary in and of itself. Okay. Uh, so, Oh, there's <laughs> first off. So you listed Thoughts? like, you listed like <laughs> nine different books that are associated with this. Um, yes. How, how do you read all of this? Because I feel like that's the thing that's really put me off of like trying to toe into this bone orchard mythos stuff is like, there's a bunch of it, and I don't really know how it all fits together. And I will say, like, I've talked to Nick about this. It sounds like it's kind of confusing. <laughs> yeah, I they they promoted this as being standalone and yet interconnected. And yeah. as far as I'm at in this, I don't fully buy into the interconnected elements. I think at least as far as I'm at, and I'm most of the way through Tenement, I have yet to really see a lot of the inner connected elements that are supposed to be there. Interesting. And yeah. for me, you know, and, and Zach, feel free to push back on this. <laughs> the volume you talked about, what is it? 10,000 black feathers for me yeah. is probably the weakest element. And I think one of the weird things about it, and you kind of got at this is that Sorrentino's art first off and, and, you know, hat, hat off to Sorrentino on this. 
I had to double check to make sure there wasn't a second artist working on this book. Same. Because I was convinced that the lighter, brighter, pastel, um, fantasy, book-within-a-book elements were actually possibly being done by someone else. And mm. when I found out it was Sorrentino, I was so used to Sorrentino's normal style that that style was normal and conventional to me. And it was the weird, bright fantasy shit that was weirding me out and making me super <laughs> uncomfortable. And I was like, what the fuck is this shit? Go yeah. back to that dark crap. Yeah. Um, so it almost sort of flipped poles for me. And, and I was like, well, this is weird. This is kind of odd to look at. You know, I mean, it creeped me out in a way because I was like, this isn't you, you know, you know. <laughs> What's, what did you, you do know? with Andrea? Now, you know, knock on the, the on the door three times to tell me you're OK, please. Yeah. Um, but, is Lemire hurting you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I've 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 enjoyed it so far. I think part of the issue for me is having it follow Gideon Falls, right? Um, and obviously there were some things in between. But for me, obviously aesthetically and also tonally, it feels pretty close to Gideon, and yet it's not connected to Gideon. Um, I don't know. Um, like yep. I'm not, I'm not going to damn the guy by his own past successes, right? But it it, <laughs> it does feel pretty similar. Um, I think I liked the OGN the most, even though the pricing of it was not without controversy at the time. Um, yeah, the passageway was a it was a hefty hefty price for a for an original like graphic ninety novel. pages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, I I have enjoyed everything so far. I do agree that the whatever they are intending to eventually like give us as start weaving together. To, yeah. Like whatever yeah. that is, they haven't done it yet. And that's I don't yeah. know. And maybe that's on purpose because they don't want to be like bogged to, you know, like giving us threads or, or maybe there's something there that is so minute that mm. we won't notice it until sure. they tell us it's there. Sure. I don't know. But, uh, but so far, like each of them, I think have been good in their own way. I, w- I would agree with you. I think the passageway is the best of the ones that have come out. And Mike, as far as knowing where to jump in, you don't need a place to jump in. You can just, gotcha. whichever one you feel like checking out, because they are so self-contained, you can just read whatever you want. Okay. And and they're they're not difficult reads as far as, you know, like yeah. the style or no, anything I mean, like that. It's Jeff Lemire. Yeah, right? Mike, like, aren't I'm, big words. Don't worry about it, buddy. Sure. Yeah, You'll we be know. Fine. Your simple <laughs> brain can handle it. I, I read all of the Black Hammer stuff. Maybe, maybe this is this is the, the Mike's pendulum. like, listen, I've read books with five words with five syllables. I know how to say things. Did you guys not just hear about how I love big pictures and big word bubbles? Come on, like, <laughs> did you um, not hear? I, I listed off fanographic books for you. Fanographic books. Yeah, big so, hardcover books. <laughs> this is a Jeff Lemire book, so like I'm not too worried about that because I. But I think this is this is the this is a pendulum that was not a diss on Jeff Lemire. I'm in terms of ease of reading. So my thought is like this is maybe Jeff Lemire's pendulum swinging back uh, to try to get away from like the extremely combined like Black Hammer universe that he did to say like, hey, I'm going to build something that's connected, but not in the same way. Right. Because Black Hammer was like so tightly interwoven that like really if you missed any of those miniseries that were in that series, you would lose chunks of the story. And I think that was intentional because he wanted to do a big book, but instead he just did a series of small books that were all very connected. But I don't want to talk about Black Hammer. God, we have to move on. Um, (laughs) So Nick, 
I I don't even want to go to you, but I have to. What's another book that you read very quickly? <laughs> yeah. Um, although Mike, I, w- I would say on the on the Bone Orchard thing, read read the passageway. If you want to read a book about someone abandoned yeah. on a small island with a lighthouse, that alone is terrifies me. So I do want to briefly mention, and really briefly, because I'm not even done with the book, folks. I haven't even finished it. Right. I started reading the first volume of a manga called The Fable. This is by Kat Suisha Minami. Mm-hmm. Uh, who wrote it and drew it. Uh, this was published by Kodansha. It ran from 2014 to 2019. It was collected in 22 volumes. It turned into two live-action movies, and it's actually going to be an anime next year. Uh, Kodansha USA only licensed it starting last year, so we're just starting to see this in the States now. So The Fable is about this legendary killer who literally goes by The Fable. Um, To be fair, he's not like super conceited. That was a name given to him. He didn't come up with it on his own, right? Uh, And he's like the ultimate weapon. He can kill anyone in an infinite variety of ways in under six seconds because that's how he's been trained, right? Blah, 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 blah. And the book kicks off and it's like you see him and he's going on a hit and he murders all these guys and it's like pretty brutal. Like he's like you know, one guy tries to shoot him and he grabs another guy and pulls him in front of him and like uses him as a shield first. And then he like fires back at the guy, but he uses the human shield as like a silencer. So he's like firing through the guy to kill this other guy. And you're like, this is, this is like, I mean, okay. Like I see the cover, you're holding a gun. You look pretty cool. Like, I guess I probably expected you to murder some people. So it starts out, it's pretty brutal, pretty violent. Um, And then he goes to meet with his boss and his boss is like, Hey, like, it's, it's it's like a performance review and the guy's like so let's talk about this year right you know uh and he's like how have the last couple of years been and the guy's like yeah it's been fine he's like do you know how many people you've killed in the last like five years and the guy's like no and he's like well it's 71 it's it's 71 people you've killed 71 people it's kind of created some attraction to like there's too much attention on us like you need to lay low we're gonna have you and your assistant lay low so he like he's like, here's your passports or whatever. You know, here's your IDs. Here's your insurance cards. Here's all your shit. Like, just, you know, live here for a year. Learn how to blend in. It'll be valuable to like your ability to like fit into different settings, you know, so they just explain it away mm-hmm. and they just drop him in this area. And more or less the plot is like this guy is so capable of murdering people. And now we're going to put him into this more dangerous area of the town um and just tell him to just not fight anyone for a year and his boss is like look if you kill anyone in this year like we will put you six feet under too so like you gotta live in this dangerous place for a year don't murder anyone please um and (laughs) that's the opening (laughs) right that's the opening conceit of the book right uh and so i'm already loving it so far like obviously this guy like he can't calm down right he's like hiding bullets in different like you know in like a little container of nuts and he's like breaking down his gun into different parts and hiding it around different parts of the house and his assistant is like you gotta calm this down because you know the boss is gonna get mad so between that book and the way the house husband i think i just really enjoy books of super tough guys being asked to not be super tough guys i think it's like my manga it must be like my manga sweet spot i don't yes, know yes but so far i'm enjoying this 
did you grow up loving like Mr. Nanny and like, you know, like that old Hulk Hogan movie? Cop. Kindergarten yeah. Cop, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Do, do I watch like The Pacifier and um, yes. The Tooth Fairy? Yep. Yeah. Like, yep. Right. Right. You know, t- tough guys and tutus. Like, is that like mm-hmm. tough guys being not tough guys? Yeah. Is that my thing? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe it is. Um, but well, uh, let me. Let me talk about one book really quick before yeah. uh, we go on for forever today. Um, the fl- Nick, your definition of brief is maybe the funniest definition <laughs> I've ever heard in my life, and I love you to death. But <laughs> I um, think that was like three minutes. But we'll let the we'll let the you know listeners. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Get back to um, me. Get back to me on this. Yeah, call us. Call us. Irspodcast at gmail Redefine the definition of brief on Urban Dictionary and just put right. a picture of me and then just put brief in quotes. Underneath yeah, be the great those. Wikipedia heist of 2024. So I also read The Flash number one. This is the 2023 Flash that came out recently. This is written by Cy Spurrier, art by Mike Diodato Jr., colors by Trish Mulville, uh, letters by Hassan Otsmani Elhow. Danny, basically, on our Discord, summed this up perfectly. Weird shit happens when you run really fast, and that is basically what this book is about. Um, I really couldn't sum it up any better. Uh, but I feel like every time I think I know a few things about The Flash, I do just say, like, hey, let's let's try to read a Flash story. Um, and it I, it's like I'm diving into the entirety of Doctor Who having knowing nothing, um, despite me thinking I understand how things work. Um, there's so much history that's relevant to the story that I can only hope that eventually things will make sense. Uh, that being said, though, this first issue does set up the dynamics of all the characters well enough that even if you don't know the intricacies of the various flashes or Mr. Terrific or Gorilla Grodd, by the end of issue one, you at least get a feel drawn to whatever extremely weird thing Cy Spurrier is trying to do with this book. Um, And you kind of understand how all of the characters are going to play their part, at least from the start. In an interview with Comics Beat, Spurrier said, I've never had a hard time generating ideas. If anything, one of the criticisms I get is that I try to fit too many ideas into a single page of comics, and I think that's bollocks. Uh, I'm going to say it the most American way possible. Um, I think there should never be too many ideas, but that appears to be okay in The Flash. I can get away with it. Nobody goes, hang on a minute. You've got too many ideas. Calm down and chill out a bit. So yeah, it seems to fit. And I totally agree. This is a thing that I love about Spurrier's work in general, right? I think going all the way back to my beloved X-Men legacy run that I will never, ever shut up about up through all of the weird stuff that he's done through the Krakoan era of X-Men, um, everything that I've read and his Hellraiser books that he's done, uh, Hellraiser, Jesus, uh, Constantine, Hellblazer, Hellblazer, Hellblazer different series, um, his Hellblazer books. Uh, it's a totally different vibe. Um, and it's it's always something that feels like just jam packed with stuff. But what works the best about the Flash is that the Flash is running a mile a minute. Everything is happening super fast. And so to throw a ton of different ideas on multiple pages over and over, it totally makes sense for the series. Like the bit is the Flash thinks faster than anybody else, right? Except for maybe Superman, which that's a whole other discussion. And so like to have Wally West or Barry Allen or whoever's on the page having a ton of thoughts and a bunch of ideas going on at once, it doesn't feel unnatural for that character because that's kind of their shtick. Um, But anyways, I I love this book because it has an incredibly dark feeling um, from the get-go compared to other Flash books, which I feel like is very bright, like the bright reds and yellows and stuff. Diodata Jr.'s art, is I think if you've read any other book that um, he's worked on has always been kind of dark. There's a lot of shadows. It's very like Andrea Sorrentino where there's like this very strange panel layout and characters get these weird shadows and darkness, dark looks to them. And I feel like that's the vibe that they were going for with this book because it's supposed to be kind of like a cosmic horror. And you find out in this first issue that there is something going wrong with the multiverse because that's what's always happening with the Flash. And um, 
but it turns out that that the multiverse is like turning speedsters into this is a little spoiler but it's turning speedsters into like these cosmic ab- abyss like monstrosities and i don't know i feel like it's very different than a lot of the other flash stuff that i read the most recent thing that i read before was the joshua williamson and carmine giamencio run um which was a fun book, but I dropped it because I ultimately just don't care that much about The Flash. But this is Cy Spurrier, so I'm at least going to try this book for a little while. So all I'm saying is this issue is dark and weird. I feel like it's right on brand for today's discussion, and I'm very glad that I read it. Like, I honestly think I might stop reading this on DC Infinite Universe and instead start picking it up, but like, oh, wow. we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. Big two books, so it's a whole other discussion. But I don't normally read Flash either, but I thought I, I that team made me curious about this, and now you have sold me on Dude, checking out that book. It's cool. If you can at least read number one like if you dig number one i feel like this whole series is going to work for you and oh, i man. say that have you only read number one but i've heard that after issue one it gets even weirder and i am Good. totally here for that yeah hell yeah yeah i like size Spurrier. he always brings something weird to the table exactly exactly um but let's move on let's talk about books that we are going to read soon books that are on the top of our pile whether they're new they're old or just something you're trying to read off of your shelf uh, we've got some thoughts, but before I get into that, we've got some folks hanging out with us on Discord today. They're also reading books. CK is reading Damn Them All Volume 1. Danny is reading Ultimate Universe Number 1. Stephanie is finally reading Volume 1 of the Department of Truth. At least that's what they said to us. Uh, Brian is reading Starfinder, Angel of the Drift Number 3. Um, all very exciting stuff. Stephanie, I'm so excited that you're reading the Department of Truth. I can't wait to hear whether or not you like it because I feel like that book is not for everybody. But um, anyways, uh, let me pitch this over to you, Zach. What is on the top of your pile? Well, uh, what's on the top of my pile as we head into November and I try to clear my brain is Okinawa, the graphic novel from Susumu Higa. Yeah. A bit of a change from what I've been reading lately, especially as we get further into the topic later. (laughs) Yes. Uh, I've been looking forward to checking this out. Uh, I've I've never read anything by by Higa, uh, but I, I like. But I've heard so many good things. I love the art; it's so simple, and the colors are so vibrant and beautiful. And the idea of it is just fascinating to me. Again, I haven't read it, so I can't give you specific thoughts. But here's a little blurb from Amazon for anybody who might be interested. This heartbreaking manga by an award-winning cartoonist examines the history of Okinawa and its military occupation. An essential manga classic presented in English for the first time. I'm, I, I love stuff like this. Same, uh, and I'm just I'm thrilled to sit down and read it, and finish out my COVID time on something like this. This is a big, thick book from what I've seen. It's it's a it's a big book. So, um, you have to let me know how it is because this has been on my like to read list. I Fanographics sent an email about it a couple weeks back, and I was like, I should buy this. And then I looked at my shelf of dozens of unread books, and I said, okay, maybe once I finish a couple other books. But if you say it's good, Zach, I'm gonna buy it. So I'll keep you in the know, man. Thank you, thank you, uh, Nick. What about you? Or actually, let me talk about my book first, really quick. Before, yeah, what do you got uh, for us, Mike? I know. Let me. Uh, so I'm gonna read uh, Freerin Beyond Journey's End, Volume One. This is by Kanehito Yamada. Um, basically, this is a book about an elf mage named Freerin and her courageous fellow adventurers that have defeated the Demon King and brought peace to the land. But Freerin will long outlive the rest of her former party. How will she come to understand what life means to the people around her? Um, so Kate Lamphere, a bunch of other people have recommended this book. There's like seven volumes out now, maybe eight. Um, and it's it seems to be like this really interesting spot of like a fantasy story that's like slice of life, probably has like some very emotional like beats to it that are like, hey, I'm the only elf in my party and all my friends are going to die before I'm really even middle aged. Like 
this idea, I think play it's implied in a lot of books, right? Like Tolkien has a whole thing about it. I feel like we never really discuss it in the main stories of Tolkien's books, but it's a thing, right? Where like Legolas has lived for a thousand years before Lord of the Rings and he lives for like another thousand years after Lord of the Rings or whatever, right? Uh, because he is just like an elf. Um, so how does, how does a person who has that uh, or has that type of longevity in their life live with all of their friends and family you know passing so um, i'm really excited to have my heart broken this is going to be an emotional ride and i've heard that it's very good seven volumes i picked up volumes one and two and three so um i'm ready to dive right in i want to turn that into a D &D character i there's okay we're going to talk about this in the break but we're going to talk about the one (laughs) ring game that's a whole thing um but also i was going to mention i was going to pick up ultimate universe number one but i'm holding the line and not paying seven dollars for a 40 page digital issue i don't buy marvel books (sighs) i don't buy marvel books in physical anymore because their paper is garbage and honestly they're not worth anything unless you're willing to spend that 60 dollars for like the variant cover and even then it's like i don't even want to talk about that so seven dollars for number one not me so i'll read this on marvel unlimited um anyways nick Let's let's get to you and then we'll go to the break. Yeah. So for me, uh, my pick of books coming out next week is definitely The Space Between. That's <laughs> that's DMB circa like 2003. Oh uh, the Space Between number one. <laughs> Wicked lies we tell and hope to keep you safe from the pain. I said I wasn't going to do that. Did it anyway. Uh Loki love that song. Anyway, uh-huh. um, so this is also a book by Boom Comics. It's being written by Corinna Becco. It's being drawn by Danny Luckert. Uh, the solicit is as follows. From the minds of Hugo and Eisner nominated and New York Times bestselling writer Corinna Becco, you know, who did The Expanse, uh, the comic, you know, and acclaimed artist Danny Luckert ghost lore uh, comes a genre defying story aboard an interstellar generation ship in the space between Available in November on the starbound arc known as the Dodana, the populations of workers live in strictly segregated social castes during the journey that will take multiple generations to complete. But everything changes when a pilot from the upper tier named Revia, Revia, Revla, Revla, sorry, uh, falls to the lower levels and meets less. As the two grow closer, they learn that they will have to risk everything, not just for themselves, but for generations to come on the Dodana. Every issue in this limited event series features a brand new pair of protagonists, each facing off against a new generation's trials and tribulations. This sweeping sci-fi epic about love, survival, and liberation will inspire and enthrall fans of the Expanse and Battlestar Galactica. Like, first off, uh, I do have a rule that I will buy any comic named after a Dave Matthews Band song, so I'm still waiting for Ants Marching. We'll see if and when that happens. Um, <laughs> Insta-buy right there. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I'm sure some people know Becco for her comics, you know, her, you know, rightly acclaimed work on the Expanse comics, but I still remember her uh, for her, her work on Invisible Empire, which she co-wrote oh. with her husband, Gabriel Hardman. So good. Uh, who was also the artist. Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, I think this... it's Invisible Republic. Sorry, Nick. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. That's something different. Don't know what I did there. Um, and if you want to talk about like sci-fi books that are like, hey, like we have hyperspace and like sci-fi laser guns, but also guess what? We still live in a far-flung future where racism and fascism and discrimination and and um, you know all of these uncomfortable things we're still navigating and dealing with these days are still ever present and. You know, the future still hasn't worked these things out. 
Um, Becco like really has a strong grasp on those concepts. And based on this solicit, I think this book will be no different. Yep. Um, and I'm just, I'm pumped. I, I think this will be a, a, a pretty interesting book. And the fact that it's an anthology and like multi-generational, it, it sounds really ambitious. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the thing. Uh, I feel like Becco, every time she's on a book, I at least like always want to check out the first issue, um, if not the whole series, because I feel like, like you said, her grasp on like how to tackle these tough subjects within sci-fi without making it seem like the end is nigh, there's no point for the future is is very it's a very hard line to walk and she walks it super well every mm. single time um that's what that's what made invisible republic so cool um i feel like their work on the expanse is probably just as good and this you're this i did not know this book was coming out and i have to check it out see this yeah, is why I, I, this is why i love being on this show and listening to this show because that is not a name that i am familiar with and now i want to go and find everything about her yeah you should you should um i think she also did a work did a, a run on green lantern that was supposed to be very good yeah i think it was the um that like earth one sort yes. of like standalone ogn sort of little imprint if you will mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know what, before we dive again into a bigger topic, let's take a quick break. Um, we're going to talk about horror books after the break, but for now, um, I guess we'll be back in just a second. Before we get in the second half of our show, I've got a little bit of housekeeping to do here. As always, you can follow us on the internet. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at, uh, at TikTok and Discord. We've got a Goodreads. We've got a YouTube channel that's doing really well. Um, all IRCB podcast, youtube.com slash at IRCB because we got that cool handle. Check us out there. And if you want to support us, if you want to do something like last week's episode where you get to commission an episode of the show or you get to hear a special series like A Better Batmobile, uh, Giant Days of Our Lives, Mike's X-Men Blind Box, and so many other things, like over 120 different patreon exclusive episodes of podcasts you can support us at patreon.com slash ircb podcast to get access to all of that stuff plus schedule updates atop my pile post early access so many other things um check it out there patreon.com slash ircb podcast but we're here today to talk about some of the scariest stuff in the world uh comic books so zach you kind of said hey i really want to be on this halloween episode because it's technically before halloween as we're recording this what was going through your head what makes you love scary comics so much and why do you want to talk about them today man i think it it really goes back to when i was a little kid my brother exposed me to horror movies long before i should have been Mm. and i just fell in love with the genre and i i love being scared uh, I, I said on my show this past week, I love being scared while knowing that the guy running at me with a chainsaw isn't really going to wear my face at the end right. of it. You know what I mean? Like, I love that feeling. And so when, uh, you know, over the years, I just fell in love with the uh, the art of horror and mm-hmm. doing good horror that really pulls something out of you and makes you think and, and gets into your brain and makes you worry about things just from having those thoughts put into your brain. Like I love a good jump scare, but I I love this like era of like the, the high horror kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And comics are rife with that kind of stuff. There's, you know, there's still schlocky, but actually you, you mentioned Cyspuria earlier and there was a great Cyspuria quote that I saw uh, for an episode I recently did on the book, the rush where he was saying that he thinks with comics, you have to go deeper with horror because jump scares right. are not possible 
Like you can't you can't do cheap tricks. Right. You can't turn comics. the page and then someone goes, Oh god. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Unless they're really skittish. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like so you have to you have to really play with people's thoughts. And mm-hmm. and that's the way that he said he likes to do horror is is a take things that you will then think about later and will bother you. And like that's his version of horror. And I think that that is what comics do best when when horror is done right in comics. Totally. So that's what I, that's why I was excited to do this. I've been reading a ton of horror comics and yeah, I was like I have to be on this episode. Yeah, no, uh, tell us about one of the books. So you, we talked a little bit in the first half about some of the scarier books that you've been reading, but what was mm-hmm. another one you wanted to bring up for today's discussion? Okay, so uh I've got I've got two in this category and the, you're going to see a theme because for this I wanted to grab books that are about something that legitimately does scare me. Oh, okay. And uh, and like that is the the exorcism genre. Ah, yes. And that is and it's not like it's weird because it's not because like I'm a like super religious person or anything, but the idea of something taking over me mm-hmm. and me not having any control over that is a scary scary idea, I which see. I think is why I love those movies. I love reading the comics. And uh the one that I want to tell you about first was a book called Roman Ritual. And this is a four issue book from a small company called Amigo Comics. Okay. Uh, it is it is owned by El Torres, the writer like this is like his publisher that he puts out his books on Amigo Comics. He's out of Europe. And uh, the artist was Jaime Martinez and Roman Ritual four issue run real hard to find. Uh, but uh, it's really it's worth the time. Uh, it is about a like a uh, this priest who is doing exorcisms in like South America because he's been excommunicated for some things that he's done in his life. And okay. it's like the situation where the church comes calling back and where they're like, you're the only guy for this case, you know, that kind of thing. Like, <laughs> and, and you know, that's, it sounds lame, but then when you realize that he's the best exorcist they have and the problem that they have is that the Pope is possessed by a demon. <laughs> And Hell and the yes. oh my and the art the art is grotesque. I mean grotesque. And it and like the first image you see of this possessed pope is just horrific. And the images are horrific. And as the story goes on and you start to realize what's really going on within the church and why this is happening mm-hmm. and like cuz there's more to it than just the simple idea of the pope being possessed. Like there's there's more going on, but it is just so well done and it is and it's so concisely done too. It's four issues, but I feel like this could have stretched on for like 10. Interesting. But, but El Torres did such a good job of making this whole thing come together in four issues and it's 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 creepy and it's it's gross and it, and it, and it's well thought out and it's just such a fun fun little romp. It's a fun four issue romp. Fun fun little exorcist romp. Yeah, fun That's for it. all the kids. Bring the family. Right. right. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So how did you come across this book? Uh, I didn't, uh, man, I feel like I'm always just plugging my show, but I did an episode on it. My friend, my friend, Matt Suter, shout out to him. He's a big horror nut and he specifically loves anything dealing in religion. Like, Mm -hmm. like, so he, I wanted him on the show for my first Halloween and, uh, and he was like, oh, I got something for you. And we talked about it and, and, uh, I actually got to talk to El Torres after the episode dropped. He and I had a discussion and, and like, I just fell in love with the way this guy puts horror together mm. and, and this book specifically, like, yeah, I, I just, I found it through Matt and it's just, it's such a well put together book that I, like I will tout it till the end. Whenever somebody wants something creepy and horror. Yeah. Gotcha. Roman ritual. Okay. 
Okay, well, Nick, I, I'm curious. Can you top that? What do you what you got on your list, bud? Uh, what's something that's actually creepy that you you've brought to the table today? Oh God, like that would probably have to be. And I feel like at this point, a bunch of people on this show have read this, but maybe not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, did you hear what Eddie? Oh God, it's is it it's Gein? Gein. It's Gein. Gein. They even make a big oh, point Ed in Gein. the book about yeah. pronunciation. Yeah. 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 Uh, by um, true crime writer Harold Schechter and uh, um, Eric is it Eric Schechter? I thought maybe it was Howard Schechter and Eric Powell. It's definitely Eric Powell on art. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what I get for just writing last names. Um, yeah, I know this was talked up by a couple people. I know Mike read it a couple years ago. Yeah. Um, I most recently read this for the first time maybe two months ago. It's just a you read it cover to cover. You don't stop. Like I would be shocked to know what people are just like. They get like 20 pages in and they're like, all right, you know, you know, whatever. And just put it down because it's it's so terrifying and compelling. And of course, it's it's all real. Right. I mean, I feel like some of it is Schechter kind of adding a little bit of his own personal conjecture, but like it's yes, it's, it's allowed. I feel like it's allowed because of how well, much he studied and like understood this person, right? Okay, right. And 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 admittedly, there are certain aspects of what, um, you know, Gein did that they're not entirely sure. Right. Like, did he actually do this? Did he not? Um. And of course, like one of the things that you always end up asking, I say you always end up asking. This is one of the things that like true crime podcasts and whatnot, which I, I do listen to, which we are know, turning into up, after this episode, by the way. Exactly. Yeah. This is our new pivot <laughs> um, is once you catch the individual and you're like, well, you did this crime. It sort of inevitably becomes a question of like, well, what was the first crime? Like, where did they really start? Like, how mm-hmm. many do we not know about? Right. And right. With with Gein, there is this question where he's been linked to quite a few different um, other um, instances where people aren't sure. And I guess we probably should get into this, I guess, a little, which is like <laughs> in in line with the actual title, like what did Edward Gein do? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's some pretty terrible, rough and tough, uh, gross shit that um, yeah. I believe he says at one point some of it inadvertently inspired some of the uh, visual elements of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yep. Um, and yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to say anything more about the book because it's terrible and it's shocking. And as long as you at least know that that's what you're getting, um, I think you'll be, you know, you'll be okay. It's still terrifying, but it's also very, it's not super salacious. It's pretty like methodical and critical mm-hmm. and goes through things beat by beat in, in the same way that I think you have with, um, Oh, why can I never think of the name of the book? Uh, with, with Dahmer, um, my friend, yeah, my, my friend, best Dahmer. friend Dahmer, yeah, my friend, Dahmer. my friend Dahmer. Yeah. Um, by, um, uh, Drift factor. Drift factor. Right. So I, I think it's in the same vein where it doesn't like get super salacious or, you know, um, lean into things in a way that just seems kind of, uh, you know, unsavory. Yeah. Um, no, but it's, it's, it's compelling and it's terrifying. 
Um, yeah, I, I think there's like a almost like a clinical approach to how this book is done in terms of the narration. But then yeah. Eric Powell does like some absolutely tremendous work with his his yes. artwork, right? And I'm I'm not someone who's very familiar with Eric Powell's work, but if I'm not mistaken, he did the goon over at at Dark Horse for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. So he has this really strange like shaded like bulky style to everything that he does that's really really cool and it works super well for this book because there's some dark things in here and clearly eric powell is not afraid to draw this kind of stuff so i i totally under to me it's so funny that you bring this book up nick because this book is not scary to me at all it's it's fascinating but it's not scary in the same way that i think like roman ritual would probably scare my pants off um because i can't (laughs) explain demons and exorcisms i can explain eddie gein right like he's just he's just a wild like person who is absolutely awful um i can understand the horrors of man but not demons (laughs) well i i I totally get what you're saying, right? Because it like this guy, he's not out there and we don't, right? It's not like Zodiac where it's like, who was the Zodiac? Is he still out there? Right. Like, you know, what, when will he strike again? Blah, blah, blah. Right. Like Ed Gein is, is dead and, and, and he was caught and all of that. Yeah. And, yeah. um, but I think with, with Gein, there are some unanswered questions. Um, and, and I think one thing that the book gets at, uh, is this lingering question, minor spoilers at the end of like, was he really crazy? Was he not crazy? Oh, was right. it an act? Right, right. Like how performative was it or wasn't it? Um, and just sort of those lingering little threads are kind of, you know, that's that stuff is sort of creepy to me. Yeah, um, I get you. I, I think that there, for me, there is a little bit of scariness to that kind of stuff. And I think it's the reason that I like true crime as much as I like horror is because for me, it's like there, like there are people that are still out there like him. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that is a thing that exists in this real world. I don't know if demons exist. I don't know if they can take me over. I don't want to know, but, <laughs> but I know that there are people who will wear your face out there. And maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe. And uh, that's horrifying because they could be anybody looking right. at you, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we thank brian for his proof listening today yes um, thank you brian. Uh, for today i uh i guess i a book that i was i'm always interested in um that scares the pants out of me because i've uh, out of me off of me um is infidel uh this is by Pornsec pichotet uh I, and aaron campbell on art uh colors by jose villarubia um this book is extremely haunting i think like very similar to zach your first book that you mentioned here uh, it's it's about a uh, house that's haunted and it's you don't know if it's like really what it is like honestly I feel like the first half of this book is just tense it's so tense because everybody except for our main character who's an American Muslim woman is like certain that something is wrong here right and I feel like and I and the reason I bring up the description of this character um, is because she is also a person who is being like very subtly discriminated against in the story and she's like how can no one else see this right like and so there's like this beautiful parallel between like do you under do you see the haunting of this house but also mm-hmm. do you see the things that are being done to me um as she is being both haunted and she is both being discriminated against oh, wow. um but it's it's a beautiful thing to the way that uh piece of shit like uh puts things together in this book and uh i was so scared 
reading this. Like it's very rare for me to feel so scared by a book, but I feel like there were moments of like, and I think I talked about this on the show before where I was like living in a house that kind of had like a similar shape. And I was like, Oh God, like are there things in the walls? And that's exactly what this book is about. This woman can't figure out what's going on. And I also feel that kind of abject terror at three in the morning where I'm like, was that a shadow? Was that my cat? Am I going to die right now? Um, so, yeah, I, I really love Infidel for that reason, because I think that uh, Aaron Campbell's art does a good job of putting you in a certain mindset. Um, and the writing is great, but it's really the art and the color in this that that gets you into like the feeling of like, oh, God, what's happening? Right. Um, and I, I really enjoyed just like how they were able to put me in that mindset and then successfully get me out of it by the end of it right like <laughs> i feel like some horror books end on like this and they never know what happened right like and it's maybe not so ridiculous as that but it's still like a question mark ending um which to me is a little like unsatisfactory sometimes i feel like infidel does go through the entire phase or all the steps of like hey let's introduce you to the world let's scare the living shit out of you and let's let you realize that while even if this mystery or whatever happened isn't completely solved, at least our main character was able to like get out and there isn't really a question mark of, is she going to be okay? And I, I so I appreciate that um, cool. from beginning to end. And this book is, it's a great read. I don't know if I'll read it again because it genuinely scared me so much, oh, uh, but it's, it's really good. Uh, and yeah, I, I pretty much try anything that this, uh, this creative team will do. So yeah. I want to read that. Like that's that's another one that's been in my queue for a long time. I love the, that the covers parallel. to that book is so good too. I, I will say, oh, yeah? just look up the covers to Infidel; they're amazing. But sorry, you were saying. Oh, the, the the parallels of the idea of why doesn't anyone believe me? I'm being haunt that I'm being haunted, and why doesn't anyone see what's happening to me and the and the racism that I'm experiencing? Mm -hmm. Like the parallel of that is just a brilliant idea that I don't know I've ever seen done before. Yeah, it's. I mean, if you like this creator, uh, uh, Pornsek uh, Pichashed, uh, I think also did a book or did a book called the the Good Asian, which is yes. a like noir book, um, very much covering like similar topics of like racism in the world and how a character tries to basically navigate survival while also understanding that like all the deck is stacked against them. Um, great book as well. But um, yeah, uh, Zach though, did you have another book you want to talk about? I did. And like I said, I have a theme for this and it is a book. It's it's actually only for one issue out right now from Mad Cave Studios. It's called The Devil That Wears My Face. <laughs> you can already tell where it's going. Yeah. And this one is really cool because it is uh it takes place in like the 17th century, mm -hmm. which I so I I love that it's a period piece and it's a similar idea where within the church there's stuff going on the 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 pope is very sick and there's this and there's kind of like the rumblings of a of the need to move on like to a new pope and that kind of stuff and there's um this one priest who is kind of uh he's saying too much and is taking a lot of crap for it and they decide hey there's this there is this uh possession going on that keeps killing all the priests that are trying to help this kid let's send him to try it because we just <laughs> want him out of here and, like that's clearly what's happening so they send awesome. this guy and uh and 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 he is trying and this it's this serious demon and there's this gorgeous art it's it's got a very similar kind of vibe to roman ritual in that right like the it's very dark like the all of the art is done in such a beautiful way with so much shadowing and it really gives you the vibe of everything being lit by candles and nice. I, I love that and um it really adds to the ambiance of the book and there is 
yeah, screw it. I'm just going to tell you, like, it's it's worth it because I think you should go pick up issue number one and then keep it going, folks. But the idea basically winds up that this demon finds a way. It, it, it's not a deal where this priest has to fight the demon out of this guy that he went to save because the demon jumps, if you know what I mean. And that's all I'm going to oh, say. God. Yeah. The oh. demon doesn't stay in one person. It jumps. And now suddenly it's elsewhere. And this is uh this is a book by our good pal David Peppos, who we've had on the show a couple oh, times, yes. um, which is very exciting. Um, so I I didn't realize that he had a new book out, but I actually I did know that he had a book out. That's a lie because I'm pretty sure Danny talked to him very recently on his show. Um, all this cross pollination of podcasts. How dare you guys? We're only here to talk about our podcast, <laughs> but uh, no, it's really cool. I'm I'm excited. I didn't I didn't think to pick this up. I forgot. So um, yeah, I'll have to grab a copy. It's yeah, it's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous book. Alex Cormack art. Very yeah, nice. Very nice. Uh, Nick, give us one more book really quick here before we jump into the listicles you posted in our doc for today. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, I think this one's definitely better known than others, but sure. uh, it's been a couple years. Maybe some people never picked it up. Um, I would definitely say if you haven't read Harrow County, mm. um, you should really give it a shot. Hell yeah. Um, is it the absolute scariest thing you've ever read? Um, probably not. Probably not. It's like a, it's like a five on the scary scale. Um, you know, five, five standard scary units out of 10. Um, and of course this is Cullen Bunn who, uh, tends to inject a Southern perspective or a Southern locale into a lot of his works. Yeah. Um, with Tyler Crook on art, which honestly, uh, I could just say Tyler Crook on art and most sane, reasonable people would say would be like, I don't care. Maybe maybe it's him and he's depicting paint drying and grass growing and that's fine and I'll, I'll pick it up. It'll look good um, because you should. That That is a perspective you should hold. Yes. Um, but, you know, it's 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 bun drawing on this locale and a lot of the legends and myths and stories he heard growing up about about witches and these different little creatures that live in the woods um but i i think for a lot of people it's just refreshing to see sort of urban legends and these mythological creatures and these different uh, little you know horror stories that don't have the typical ghost goblin you know werewolf mythology and you know iconography it it really looks and feels and has a perspective and 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 whatnot that we're not used to associating with um with kind of like ghost stories and and you know scary spooky tales right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and and it just looks beautiful and it just looks absolutely beautiful uh and, and and terrifying and yeah, I would I would recommend this book. There's quite a few volumes. It actually got like a follow up series. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I can't recommend that one enough. Yeah, I I remember a while back we did like a reading of volume one of this. I think for something, and uh, it's it's interesting because I feel like Tyler Crook's art is extremely haunting. The same way that like some of the I'll say like scarier, like Renaissance style yeah. paintings can be where you're totally. kind of like it's simultaneously beautiful and yet unnerving. Yeah, um, exactly. Even, That's... even when it's not a horror book, right? Like Crook has done other genres and things like that. But even then the art is sort of like, there's something unspeakably unsettling about mm-hmm. it. 
Yeah, that's that's the thing that like got me about that book is I feel like there's nothing like you said, it's like a five on the scale of horror out of 10. Um, but like it's there are pages that you're just like, oh, if I saw that in real life, that's it for me. I'm done. <laughs> like my soul would leave my body. Um, and I think that that is the the power of Crook's art, even if the book on the whole isn't like absolutely ter- it, 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 totally scary. So um, I, I appreciate that pick. Thank you for bringing that back to my attention, Nick. I don't know if I'm going to go back and read it, but I'm glad that other people know it exists, you know? <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. I, I mean, Cullen Bunn and Cro- along with Crook's art is like a perfect combo for, for that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I guess like to wrap up today's discussion, Nick, you, you dropped some listicles on us, um, New York times, five <laughs> spooky Halloween comics for horror fans and entertainment week, yeah. 15 spooky comics to get you in the Halloween spirit. Um, just looking over these articles, uh, I'm curious to know we're we're people that have read quite a bit of horror comics. I think, how do you guys feel about these lists? Um, do you think that these companies actually know what the hell's going on or should people just be listening to our podcast for all the recommendations they need? I'm curious. <laughs> I mean, just the the fact that the New York Times decided that they wanted to weigh in on this, and I'm like, okay, yeah, like, all right, let's let's take a look at this. And I mean, Ice Cream Man is is one of their five, okay. And like, I mean, obviously, to- totally unbiased opinion, right? Um, totally respect that. Mm-hmm. I get it. Um, but then there's just some other stuff here where I'm like, I've I've never even heard of these things. Collection um, of EC Comics. For some reason, specifically Ray Bradbury <laughs> comics. That's what yeah, that's what's yeah, cool yeah. about it. The New York Times is like, all right, we want to bring some these old like 40s and 50s comics, but we somehow have to tie yeah. it so that people understand the relevancy. So <laughs> let's find Ray Bradbury. People know that name, so we'll make it all work together with that. That's that's my guess. Guys, we have an editorial mandate. Only half of the books can be completely out of print. All right, <laughs> just half. All right, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I feel like the enter, uh, the Entertainment Weekly article is interesting um, because they, too, also included an EC Comics group because I feel like it's one of those things. There must be some mandate that you have to do that. But yeah. they also included Johnny the Homicidal Maniac, which, like, I don't know if you guys were a yeah. 13-year-old in the year 2001. <laughs> Little edgelord, 13-year-old edgelord. Yeah, when, like, Invader yeah. Zim was everywhere <laughs> and, like, you could go to Hot Topic and you could get comic books specifically. You could get Squee and Johnny the Homicidal Maniac and, like, everyone was wearing those big Jinko jeans with zip off knees and chains and stuff um yeah why, those books are not scary at all they're just like hey i hate everything and guess what i'm gonna kill somebody because <laughs> i hate them and if that's scary yeah. to you maybe i don't know watch a tv show or something i don't know man like i can't imagine I, that book I, being remotely scary to anyone maybe that's just me i will say i was looking at these lists and i was looking at a couple other lists that i didn't include and maybe it's just been a long time since i read it or maybe it's just the fact that it was a longer series where some of the volumes did really feel different and look different than others. Mm-hmm. But I was surprised to see Sandman on a lot of lists. And because they got it. I was kind of like, do I not really remember this? I mean, yes, the um, what's the guy's called? The Corinthian, um, the guy with the eyes that are teeth. But, right? but I oh, will man. tell you that Sandman went one in one ear out the other for <laughs> okay. me. Sure. Sure. Um, okay, that's maybe fair. maybe Sandman's on the list because it's so scary at how hard it is to follow the book story. Yeah. <laughs> maybe Sandman is on the list because they know nobody finished volume no, one no, I, and they can I, I, they can say whatever they I've want. I've heard about from it. people who've heard me claim that I don't like Sandman, that like yeah. you gotta get past volume one, Mike. And I say that to people when they oh sit down God. to watch Parks and Rec, so like I totally get it. Um 
But I think Sandman Sandman gets included on the like lists like this just because somebody looked at the art and was like, "Well, that's kind of scary." Mm. And and that's no, it. I, I don't yeah. I don't want to give people that little credit. I, I I feel like there is probably a justification if you get into Sandman. There are some spookier elements. Like Neil Gaiman is capable of writing a comic book that's scary. I'm sure. Yeah, um, that's true. I just never got that far. Um, but Sandman is a weird pick given how many other scarier comics there are out there. I think that's maybe the point that we're actually arguing here. I also saw From Hell on a lot of lists, yeah. and I was like, this 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 is this is a bunch of people who like probably. You want to talk about books people couldn't finish. No, um, but Nick, you also did mention, did you hear what Eddie Gein done? And I feel like From Hell is the same thing. It's just a lot more narrative no, insertion. Uh, From Hell is so much more clinical. It is like... <laughs> it's Alan Moore and it's clinical. it's so big. And yeah. it's like, we get it, Alan Moore. We know you researched this for 10 <laughs> years. We know. Mm-hmm. We know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, But, yeah, I mean, okay. I, I don't... I don't, I don't think that should be on list. I just need um, to point out that it's kind of freaking me out that the cover of From Hell looks like Donald Trump with bloody hands holding a knife. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do a Donald Trump impersonation. Clip, no, don't do it. Don't you do it. Okay, I'm not going to do it. I won't do it. That's post-credit stuff. Um, okay, so... After so, I think all said and done, um, I feel like our recommendations are maybe better than these listicles. Yeah, I feel like, um, but that's the takeaway that should be there. Yes, I'm mm-hmm. curious to know what other people read this month. Um, as far as horror comics, if you did read any, um, I know some people just jumped right into fall vibes and witchy vibes, and I totally get that. So, if you read some of that, send us an email because we usually do an episode on that. There may be one coming later this year, we'll see. But, um, otherwise, to wrap things up, um, I appreciate you guys coming with some very scary books and some very interesting books um i did not mention the last book that i had on my list which was nice house on the lake number one just the first issue not the rest of the series the rest of the series is not that scary that first issue though absolutely terrifying oh wow oh interesting um, okay <laughs> so okay. uh folks that are getting our show notes for this week on patreon are going to see some covers that i also thought were scary so look forward to that but otherwise next week's show is going to be really interesting it's going to be me brian and nick talking comics and such maybe we're going to talk about food and comics i don't really know we'll see sure um but Heck otherwise yeah. thank you guys for your time today infinity shred is the best band of the universe they do all of our music xander lives in the flame of every jack-o'-lantern lit after halloween um, i want to say thank you to zach and nick and brian uh today thank you brian for proof listening thank you to everyone for hanging out with us live on discord you're fantastic human beings and if you got this far in the show thank you you are amazing until next time though comics are good and so are you.